I woke up during the night and I had two cats laying on me. <laughs> and I was so uncomfortable. I really wanted to move, but it was chilly and they were all sound asleep. And so I just laid awake for probably an hour being uncomfortable because I didn't oh, want no. to disturb them. <laughs> because what's more important, me being yeah, comfortable exactly. or them exactly. being comfortable? Yeah. Uh, all right. Here we go, I think. I hope. Okay. Or not. Perhaps absolutely not. Let's see. I heard it. I yeah, heard it. I, heard, I heard it. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> oh, um, no. <laughs> a new wrinkle. Does that mean... Wait a minute. So it's coming out through there to here. Oh, wait. I'm guessing that you can hear music right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Um, I absolutely cannot hear it. It says, <clears throat> see, the thing that's maddening about it is that my sound program says that it's playing in my headphones. It like, mm. it's showing me the levels and it's like, I'm playing right now. And mm, it's yeah. absolutely not. Um, so I'll just, I'll just go with it. I can watch the timer on the playback and it'll be fine. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Good-Looking People in Small Clever Rooms that Utilize Every Centimeter of Available Space with Mind-Boggling Efficiency. I'm Andrew, and I'm here with Brianna. Greetings. And as always, we're joined by my mom, Norma. Hello. And by our friend, Vinny. Hi. Hi. So we had a, a fairly short reading this week. My uh, overall reading was even shorter because there was a large chunk of it that I didn't read. You know, that's oh. absolutely the same for me. When we get to it, we can talk about why we so, skipped it, but, uh, but I'm not. Oh, yep. So if somebody read it, maybe they can tell me the parts that weren't the parts that I needed to skip, but that I missed yeah. because I skipped it. Well, I did read it all the way through. Okay, yeah, same so you here. Can, all right. You're tougher than me. Yeah, but oh boy, that was tough. Yeah, so just for listeners, there's a section of this reading that involves some pretty brutal animal cruelty uh, involving Randy Lenz, who's a resident of Ennett House. Uh, when I realized what was happening... So first of all, I uh, I forgot that this section was in the book. Um, Maybe you skipped it the first time. I think I remember doing that. Now, uh, having come across it again, that I got to a point where I was just like, "There's, I'm not, I'm not reading this. There's no point in my reading this." It's, you know, I think that there are a lot of sections in this book that are are really rough to read yes. and uh -huh. and push me kind of right to my limit of what I'm willing mm -hmm. to read. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I found my limit. I don't, I don't yep. need to read about like graphic depictions of animal cruelty. I see no. Right. No benefit to it whatsoever. Um, right. He's and, your son. Yeah. I do have questions about whether it's worthwhile to talk about gratuitousness in light of hmm. the violence and or, for lack of a better term, body horror with the detox scene. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it certainly seems to be something the narrative is interested in indulging in. Um. 
I don't know. Like, is that a, is that a critique? I don't see. That's my problem with this is the gratuitousness of those scenes feels like it might be a critique of media depictions of gratuitous violence and stuff, but it's also indulging in those same things. So I'm not, I'm not sure that I buy that. I can't tell because the other thing is in other places when we can see DFW critiquing like capitalism or climate or politicians, you can tell he's doing it because there's humor and it's mm-hmm. satire, mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to this, which is very straight telling of the thing. Well, so, maybe we should get a, maybe we should take a running start at it and start at the beginning of yeah. our reading. Yeah, which, let's do which that. Which we so could we, all read. We, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll work our yeah. way toward the and part is... where I will not have anything to say. Well, I will yeah. have things to say, but not sure. about what was written, I guess. Sure. Um, <laughs> Maybe about so why it was written in the first place. There is, the, because... the, there is something I'm, I'm really excited to talk about, which is the scene between Joel and Don Gately right. is a really great it's scene. Really yeah. And, and we've got uh, Marat and Steeply still. Yeah, here we are As again. As they say, still. Mm-hmm. Pre-Dawn. <laughs> And Don, 1 May, YDAU, outcropping, northwest of Tucson, Arizona, USA, still. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what do people have to say about this scene? I did some research. Ooh. I did too. I hope you found more information (laughs) than I did. Oh, okay. It sounded frustrating. Sitting across the room from Brianna, the research sounded frustrating. The research was frustrating. So at the beginning of the section, uh, Steeply talks about a mythic figure yes. from either Japanese or Indonesian folklore about a woman covered with long blonde hair. And um, like all over her body, right? Like yes. body mm-hmm. hair. Yes. Yeah. Like um, a Persian cat, sort of. And she's <laughs> intensely. Uh, Seduct- well, she's seductive because of how beautiful she is, and by engaging in sexual intercourse with her, men die. And even the ones who know that that's going to happen still are interested in being with her in an intimate way. Uh, so the research that I did was very frustrating because I kept going, Asian myth, hairy woman, hair-covered woman... <laughs> Japanese mythology, Asian lady, and just nothing. So much nothing. Uh, but I mm-hmm. find it difficult to believe that DFW made this up. What I did end up finding was the vague memory of a Cryptid Keeper podcast episode about a hair-covered small man smoking a cigar in a tree. <laughs> So that led me to the thought process of maybe it's a cryptid. And I was reminded of the TV tropes that so beautiful it's a curse and stumbled upon the Keijoro, which is a yokai with long flowing hair who has the appearance of a prostitute and can be seen in red light districts. Um, In Mm. 100 Demons of the Past and Present, She's drawn as a prostitute covered in hair so dense her face isn't visible. And if a man catches sight of her from behind and mistaking her to be a woman he knows, 
he races over and then he's enveloped in the Keijuro's hair upon seeing her face. Oh. In most stories, it's just the hair on her head that's disturbingly thick and long. But in some stories, her whole body is covered in thick hair, like some kind of beast. Um, and there's some debate as to whether under the hair, the Keijoro has a normal face or whether she's a faceless monster. Um, so this was kind of... How do you spell Keijoro? It's K-E-J-O-R-O. It's a little bit of a stretch, but it does... And At she's least. not blonde, but she right. does have right. the, I had the same trouble. I looked and looked, and I also probably cursed the whole <laughs> situation. Uh, I found the woman in, it was Japanese myth, Harionago, who was a beautiful young woman with barbed black hair. Oh, yeah. Um, that she could control and uh, she wanders the road and laughs at men, and if they laugh back, she ensnares them in her hair, mm. which is a, so another hair thing. But there again, she had black hair, and the only thing I could find a reference to the Asian, the seductive Asian woman myth, mythical figure with blonde hair, is just the reference to the um, fashion trend that started in Japan in the nineties. Uh, the Ganguro fashion trend where women bleached their hair and mm -hmm. and the real colorful, like almost kabuki makeup with the with long bleached blonde hair. Mm. I couldn't find anything other than that with with the blonde. Me Asian. neither. I also had questions about whether it was an accidental slip of the tongue, but actually referring to somebody like Joelle. And uh -huh. so I, I rapped on Andrew's shoulder and I'm like, Andrew, what color is Joelle's hair? Uh -huh. And uh, we discovered that it's red. So oh. um, no, hmm. <laughs> not her. Hmm. But it does, it does create a really nice circle with Medusa and the right. Odalisk and um, all of those, those images of beauty that creates destruction or is right. horrible because of how beautiful that seductive force that you succumb to, even though you know that mm -hmm. it's probably fatal. Which leads into some of Marat's musings. I started to wonder about the wheelchair assassins, who I wish I could say they're French. Would someone say their French name? Les Assassins de Fatouille Royenne. Yes, that. That sounds so much better than the the wheelchair assassins, but mm -hmm. I started to think about that whole thing as very similar, that the train game is the same as the entertainment and these sed beautifully seductive and deadly women, that you know that, it, that the result is going to be terrible, mm. right? You're either going to yeah. be mm -hmm. dead or you're going to have your legs chopped off. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the first time, you get this sense that he thinks back perhaps longingly or regretfully to when he was a kid, he has memories of being with his father's skating. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also memory of himself riding his bike. Yeah. And the memory of playing cards in the bicycle spokes of the bicycle yeah. of a boy with legs. So that made me think that the, the wheelchair assassins are, it's the same issue as the entertainment and the seduction myths and all.
that even though the only results that you can hope for are going to be horrible, you do it. You can't, you can't avoid participating. Mm-hmm. When somebody in Quebec gets hit by a train in this game, they call it kissing the train. Mm-hmm. That's right. I forgot about that. It's confusing where more is revealed really about Marat's motives. Did, were they were they saying that he really is betraying Quebec? That's that's in, my understanding. Because of his wife. That's that's what I wife. understand to be happening. Yeah. Which Same. is interesting because that's that would be counter to what he has said to Steeply. That right. Your love has to be for something bigger than yeah. just your own personal romantic relationship love that kind of love it has to be for something bigger but now it seems to be saying that he is betraying the cause to save his wife mm-hmm. i also like there's a line somewhere about Marat said it, some USA desire to hold some small thing back from one's superiors. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. And that irony and contempt for selves are part of USA types of temptation. Yeah. Also, we learn that for whatever reason, and will it be important at some point, uh, Steeply is right-handed and Marat is left-handed. They make hmm. a point of sharing that with us. Hmm. Did, and, I, did uh, I misread this? I, I thought that Steeply's, that Helen Steeply was left-handed, but Steeply himself is right-handed. Correct. Oh, is that true? Is it, yeah. Uh, it's one of those horrible um, things that the BSS makes their operatives do. Oh, right. If they're right-handed, right. they have to go undercover as a left-handed person or something. So that would mean that they are both <sighs> left-handed and that steeply using his right hand means that he should be less uh, coordinated mm-hmm. using the hand that he uses when he's Helen, which he is right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And Marat points out that steeply has been standing all night. Mm-hmm. Steeply either thinks or says that the reason is that when you're wearing a skirt, you don't want to sit down there in that the desert rubble on the ledge because things can crawl up your skirt <laughs> it looks like there might be things he says things. Yeah, <laughs> there might be things another thing that i checked was there was some reference to marat marat having a lower blood pressure uh marat's blood oh, yeah. pressure is low because he doesn't have legs or a lower lower resting heart lower, rate lower I think. resting pulse rate yeah and I just mm-hmm. I was curious about that, and I looked it up, and blood pressure and cardiac risks all are higher for amputees. Mm. really. I heard somewhere that there was a i'm I, I did not research this until you it didn't come to mind until you mentioned it just now. But I remember hearing a story about a like a jet a fighter jet pilot who was a double amputee and who uh, had an easier time remaining conscious at high G-forces because the blood, when it rushed down towards his legs, it didn't rush all the way down to his feet. Huh. Mm. I wonder if that's true or if that's a fake story. It's hard um. to imagine that a double amputee would be allowed to be a fighter pilot. I think I think there was one, pr- probably not anymore, but I, I, there was a time when I think that huh. 
happened. Also, let's not forget that Marat keeps saying, I must leave soon. <laughs> right. While he's gripping and his yet. gun. He's gripping his gun under the blanket. Right. Yeah. I must leave soon. What does he mean by that? Maybe he means that in a metaphorical uh-huh. leave, shuffle off this mortal coil yeah. type of way. But but why? Why, though? I don't know. Because it he's seems betraying to me, his country? or be, But if he dies, then who will somehow? take care of his wife? Also Maybe he true. Maybe deal with someone. <laughs> hmm. It's also interesting that both of their agencies, if you will, that they work for, are aware that they they claim that they don't talk about anything of value, right. <laughs> but they still want, they still encourage the meetings. <laughs> I'm getting a little tired of them being on the ledge. Frankly. Me too. <laughs> I'm ready for them to be done on the ledge. Me too. <laughs> Never. I love though, the ledge. Even though it's very hard to imagine how they get down. Yes. Unless they jump or roll off the edge. They can't jump, though. Well, Stevie no. can't jump. I'm imagining he's... it's some sort of helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one of the waste blasters has a hook, and as it flies by, it hooks <laughs> Marat's wheelchair, and off he goes. Yeah. <laughs> I looked back, I think the last, the previous moment that we were with them on the ledge, it also said still in the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's still. So it's been saying that sev- for several chapters now that they've appeared still on the ledge. <laughs> it was There's kind some of more hard. talk about, yeah, like the odalisk in right. French mythology. Oh, wait, who's... I know Cersei's name, but I can't remember who she is. I believe she is one of the witches from the Odyssey. Mm. Is she the one who um, who trapped Odysseus and was like, "You're mine now"? Uh, yes, I believe so. (laughs) Cersei in Greek legend, sorceress, the daughter of Helios, sun god, and the ocean nymph Perse. She was able, by means of drugs and incantation, to change humans into wolves, lions, and swine. The Greek awesome. hero Odysseus oh. visited her island, Aea, with, her, with his companions, whom she changed into swine. But Odysseus, protected by the herb moly, a gift from Hermes, compelled her to restore them to their original shape. He stayed with her for one year before resuming his, his journey. Ah. Hmm. So yeah, that's Cersei. Uh, there's also a book called Cersei by Madeline Miller, which is kind of a retelling of Cersei as the mythological figure and all of that, which hmm. has been on my to-read list for a bit. Same. And yeah, that is Cersei. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I've got a fun fact that's really neither here nor there, but is related to things we've been talking about. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, you remember uh, the Academy of Horses? The group that's in charge of the French language? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, do you know what their members are called? Mm-mm. They're called no. immortal. What? No. What? Yep. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait, what? Yeah, the, the people who are in charge of the French language are called immortal. Huh. Does it mean something different in French? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty pompous. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sounds in keeping with, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the whole Academy Frances yeah. project. Right, yeah. yeah. On brand. <laughs> so we start with this uh, news story from a support group somewhere of somebody getting murdered in a bar. I thought that or, was... Or sorry, no, yeah, that's that's Gately telling that story. Gately. That's right, yeah. Yeah. It put a little darker spin on him. I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I because think that we haven't gotten a lot about Gately to explain what eventually made him feel like he, he couldn't keep going in his life as it was. Well, um, we got a little bit of it. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with killing the... the yeah, um, either killing the guy accidentally or being deathly afraid that he was going to be caught. For yeah, sure. right. Like, we don't know I don't know. Like remorse... I, I, about the guy's death. I mean, he doesn't sound horribly I'm sure that's remorseful part of it. about this. He doesn't sound horribly remorseful in this story. Yeah. About the guy. I don't know. I think it's more an illustration of like how depraved his life was at this how point. Low and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, because mm-hmm. it's not really about his wrongdoing, it's about him, you know, like being there and, and being witness and kind of participant to this awful thing. Sort of mm-hmm. like the Eschaton debacle. Hmm. Like it wasn't his fault necessarily, exactly. Yeah. But he also, mm-hmm. but they were the they were friends, right? Yeah. Were the people friends, his friends, and and he didn't do anything. And what they did do was not smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of the same guilt, not directly, immediately, maybe even criminally responsible for what happened. But kind of responsible, in in the sense that they could have, they could have intervened. Mm-hmm. He couldn't intervene because of his. They were drunk, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is also different because what we've heard about is his drug use, right? Mostly, yeah, I think so. Was this part of his conversation with Joel? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. telling this story mm-hmm. to Joel. <laughs> it's so interesting too because in the previous. When he's talked about Joelle previously, he was kind of down on her because she was getting special favors and not really down on her, but kind of like cautious, like cautious it's not a good idea for this person yeah, to be here. This is not a good I, this is not a good thing. And why is she getting special treatment? And is it good for her that she's getting special treatment? And I have to participate in the special treatment by going to get the special food and the but they're really, they're really having a heart to heart. In the office, right? In the, don't they talk about how the staffer who's on duty at night is there so that when people have moments uh, where they can't, where they not, they can't sleep and they need to talk to somebody, they come and find the staffer on duty there to talk. Mm-hmm. Isn't that? Yeah, true? although I'm not, I don't think it's in the office. I think it's kind of in. Like the main meeting room, dining room area of Annette House, but there's like a little desk there that the staffer okay, sits at. The at. desk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's quite a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He so wants to know more about Joel's veil, right? Mm-hmm. I like how he's trying to therapize her, though. Right. I mean, it's funny because I do think he's making a pretty good point. Like, I, I so I, I, there's a couple things going on here. I think he is genuinely curious about the veil and what she's concealing from the world. Yeah. 
um, and about the UHID and their kind of ethos. But I also think he makes a really good point about how like you don't you don't need to lie to people when they ask you this question. You can just say, I don't want to answer your question. Mm -hmm. Right, right. There's also the funny his funny thing with misunderstanding words mm -hmm. happens. I mean, this is this is not hugely important, but the the vocabulary word comparison, com comparison caparison, which is an ornamental covering spread over a horse's saddle or harness, mm -hmm. a comparison. And huh. he says, uh, so Joelle describes her veil as like a caparison. The veil is a sort of fellowship caparison. And he says, what's it compared to? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Well, with good reason. I, you know, if somebody used comparison. that word to me, I would not right. know what it meant. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. She reveals a lot about yeah. the fellowship, the hideously and improbably, union of the hideously and improbably deformed. Yeah. And about her own situation. And she also talks in, I couldn't decide if it was creepy or, or loving, her conversations about da her daddy. Yeah. When you join the fellowship and you put on the veil and you never take it off and you vow to wear it at all times, even their daddies can't see their faces. Seems like she referenced him somewhere else talking about her daddy. Well, she references him a lot. Yeah. yeah. She talks about him a fair deal. Here she talks about how he helped somebody oh, he with a, whose hand somebody. got cut off with a chainsaw and he, right. he had some kind of like medical emergency training or something. Right. I just find it creepy whenever full-grown women refer to their fathers as daddy. Daddy. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah like a, I do too. Not, I think so it, much, not so much if they're talking to their father and they call them daddy because they always have. That's a little creepy. But when they're talking to other people about their father. Yeah. Like there's, I, mm -hmm. I feel like in her case, it's definitely a dialect thing. And I can't decide whether I think that she's weird for doing that or whether David Foster Wallace just didn't really understand the dialect that he was writing, you know? Yeah, I can't decide either like, whether it's like creepy maybe, or whether like, it's sweet. Maybe he thinks it's a regionalism. I don't think it is. I don't think people actually talk this way, but... The whole thing gets very convoluted, this conversation, and the whole idea of it's not your deformity that's so bad, it's the shame... That you feel for wanting to hide your deformity. Right. That's bad. Mm. So in her case, she's so beautiful. And the worst thing, though, for her is the feeling that she should hide her beauty because she, because of, of what she sees in the eyes of others who look at her, right? Well, she's, the, she feels, I think her point is that she feels shame about wanting to not be looked at. And the UHID is about, like, the thing with the veil seems to be about, like, acknowledging that feeling and, like, actually putting limits on, on how and when people can see you. But there's something about you, th that you hide your hiding. Like, you, you hide... <laughs> no, yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. You hide your hiding because you're ashamed of wanting to hide. Of wanting to hide. So... So right. the UHID and wearing the veil is acknowledging your desire to hide. It's like owning that feeling right. and saying you're not ashamed right. of wanting to not be seen. Right. Right. Yeah. 
which All is these like double a, it's, it's a it are, is a layer it's a layer of abstraction. But I do like I get it. I can I can understand that. I don't know. I really appreciated Don Gately saying, "Use less words." <laughs> <laughs> Use less words. <laughs> and like he'd say, "You sound like somebody different when you're talking I about just, this." Like I, I can't. I, I graded all my uh, uh, writing students' first papers last weekend, and and that was like I wrote that on pretty much every paper that I graded. <laughs> Use less words. How can you say this more simply? I hope you wrote fewer. Well, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that directly. I said mm -hmm. like, how can you say this more simply? How would you write this at a fifth grade reading level? Perfect. <laughs> uh huh. I also enjoyed that she keeps telling Joelle keeps telling Gately that he's brighter than he thinks and that he is yeah. in spite of the fact that he's telling her use less words and you sound you sound like a different person and kind of saying that he doesn't understand that she's saying no you're understanding me perfectly because you're right. a lot smarter than you think you are but he then in turns other words, that around you're hiding the, there's there's layers smartness. of abstraction to this too though cuz he turns that around on her and he's like oh well so my self esteem problem is so glaringly obvious that you can diagnose me with it after only knowing me for 3 days right mm. the other thing we discover is that don was a football player mhm mm don mm. Gately. which yeah. seems like not surprising given his stature so they mm -hmm. talk about him being the football player, and she reveals that she was a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Which we knew from... We did, um, we did know, yeah. Right, yeah. we knew Oren's. because of Oren. But mm -hmm. I, it I made me wonder if Oren and Don Gately knew each other. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because from the football world? He wasn't, he wasn't well, a college football player, right? I got the sense he was a high... Yeah, he was a high school football player. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't think Gately went to college. No. Kat, what are you doing? You can't, I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> Parachute just wanted you to know that she is so beautiful, she's deformed. Mm. I am so beautiful, I am deformed. Just, just drape a towel over her so that we, right. we can't gaze right. on her beauty. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, I would do that. Yeah. Be kind of cute to see a little loaf-sized towel monster scooting around the apartment. Yeah. Oh. Going back to Joelle and the UHID's desire to hide and everything, um, did anybody else also see that as why Joelle went into radio? Mm. I, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I it think. Does, yeah. But why does she have the screen around her seat, her area where she broadcasts so, well, so the engineer, So the engineers don't see her. My sense yeah. is that she veil, takes... Right? Doesn't My sense is that she veil? takes the veil off for talking into the microphone. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. oh, okay. That sounds legit. Mm -hmm. Although you shouldn't need to. If you wear a veil over your face, really it's just a pop guard. Like a built-in pop guard that you have at all times. Yeah. Yeah. And she said that when you take the veil, when you put on the veil, you vow to wear it all the time. Mm, right. So Implying, and didn't she say that you don't even look at your yourself? You don't take it like you wouldn't take it off and look in the mirror to see yourself. Yeah. You just never take it off. I also thought it makes me wonder more about what role Joel played in James O's demise. Mm. Mm. Uh, 
because she says, she says, Don, I'm perfect. I'm so beautiful. I drive anybody with a nervous system out of their fucking minds. Once they've seen me, they can't think of anything else and don't want to look at anything else and stop carrying out normal responsibilities and believe that if they can only have me right there with them at all times, everything will be all right. Everything. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like I'm the solution to their deep slobbering need to be jowl to cheek with perfection. So it made me think about James O. dragging mm-hmm. her around to to film stuff and including her in his his films and how does this all play out with Oren and James O. and why didn't she have the same effect on Mario? And mm-hmm. <laughs> I just have a lot of questions about mm-hmm. her. Yeah. I mean, she did de-veil for some project of for James For Infinite Jest, I believe. Well, did she even have her veil then? Yes. At least, at least for the, the production of In- Infinite Jest 4, or whichever the last one is. Because there's she... a thing, she made a deal with James O where she would remove her veil for a shot in the film if he would stop drinking. You remember that? But she didn't have the veil when she was with Oren. No. When she was a cheerleader. At least not at the beginning. I don't we don't know about what was going on at the end of their relationship. Right. Um but but, but, but he, my, under, but my she understanding met, she met the family early on, didn't she? My understanding of the timeline is that her relationship as like a collaborator of James O outlasted her romantic relationship with Oren. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. So uh, yes, I think probably <clears throat> everyone in the Incandenza family has seen Joelle without a veil. Right. And presumably, she was in some of James O's films without a veil before she joined the UHID. But we don't know which ones or when exactly that happened. Yeah. Do we have more to say about this scene between Gately and Joelle? Not that I can think of. Yep. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. So, uh, Vinny and I spearhead this portion. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the biggest note I had on this whole portion was that it was unfortunate. Yeah. I can only imagine what it's like, uh, reading and you have cats peering over your shoulder, trying to figure out what you're doing and things like that. Yeah. Yes. I just, just drew a horrified face and wrote, ugh, skip. Yep. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Although we did learn a little bit about more about Randy Lentz before any of that awfulness kicked in. Yeah. We did. And we did learn that he's definitely not clean and sober. No, he's cheating. He is cheating. And he's the one with the weird so I keep I keep forgetting about some of these characters and then I don't know. Yeah. What's new that I've learned and, and what's just stuff that I forgot. But I did remember his issue with having to be on the north at the northernmost point, right? In the right. room and mm-hmm. in the car even. Which yeah. like, how do you figure that? <laughs> like so you have to figure which seat will be the northernmost. Yeah, part it says of the it car says he spent some time cal- the yeah, calculating the the route of primary <laughs> travel. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just so weird. And why does he wear the powdered wig? 
What's the I get, oh, I get yeah. the sense that he's hiding from someone. He, so he's in disguise. Yeah. He's hi- He's using because he also doesn't. He also doesn't drive his own car ever. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. I didn't. That's connect true. Those two things. So he's he's not at Ennett House for rehab. He's just there totally to hide. Well, I don't know. Or does well? Although he, he, I don't he claims know, to does... believe that he he believes that he's clean. He uses cocaine still. He's got some hidden in a right. uh, a William James book. But yes. he he says that he takes his chips with a clean conscience. Right, because he's comparing. It's he he says basically that it's all relative, right? That if right. that you've been hooked on cocaine and used and used a little all the time, and and then you ditch it it's it's not as dramatic as someone like him who used so much all the time and that he's back down to just a little bit here and a little bit there he thinks that that's good enough or right. as remarkable or something but i mm-hmm. don't know if it is no yeah i'm skeptical there we also there's the mention of is his name Glenn something Glenn Dooney the guy Glenn. the cross-eyed guy mm-hmm. who had they mentioned that he had the he got bricks dropped on his head and had the the workman's comp suit remember that yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so oh so so he was he was trying to reenact the story from the the insurance adjuster's email the joke about the barrel of bricks I bet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In addition, in that section on 542, it's established that he'd done a reckless amount of a hallucinogen he'd refer to only as the madam. Yeah. Um, Which I had a huge question mark next to, and I was like, is this DMZ? I mean, mm. what, that, I, that would be my guess. Yeah. It was Glenn or it was Lenz? It was Glenn. Glenn said that. Yeah, it was kind of a an aside on 542 buried in that chunk paragraph. It also mentions somewhere just an aside that that Lentz, Randy Lentz says at some point that he heard he calls her Joe L. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joe with a capital Joe L. He heard Joe L making fun of the guy's crossed eyes of Glenn's right. crossed eyes. Yeah. Do you think that was true? It sounds like something she'd say. Joelle would say that, but she's the, the, why would she, who belongs to her fellowship of the deformed, why would she make fun of how somebody looks? I don't know. She seems kind of fickle. Like, maybe it would be different if he was in the UHID and, and she considered him a compatriot, but apparently he's not and she doesn't. But the the folksy way that it's said that what he could stand in the middle of the week and see both Sundays sounds exactly like something that she would say and that Lenz couldn't make up. It made me think less of her. Yeah. Mm. I think that she can be kind of petty sometimes. I could see that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think of her as self-absorbed and perhaps somehow traumatized by something. I haven't heard her say nasty things about other people before. Mm. Have we? I don't mm. think so, no. Everybody else says nasty things about uh, deformities and disabilities, but I hadn't heard her say anything before, so maybe there's some kind of hierarchy. Maybe being deformed by beauty is a higher 
a higher rank than being deformed with crossed eyes that you got by having bricks fall on your head. I don't know. I, mm, I don't think that that's it. I think that probably she doesn't like him. Hmm. Like, I, I don't know that it needs to be any more complicated than that. Hmm. Well, that's as far as I got in this chapter, because then I quickly stopped the yeah. content warning for content animal cruelty. Warning. Well, and I also mm. like I don't I don't want to discuss this directly. Like if if you if you two feel the need to talk about it more then you can do it off the podcast. Like Well, I would like I mean I would like to know what other content is woven in here that I missed by not reading it because I did feel like there was probably so Lentz is really a fairly terrible person, I, is what I came away from it with. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know that people who abuse animals and, and kill animals just, because, just for the fun of it are at a very high risk of progressing to violence against other humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a serious predictor. So... That's what I took from skipping that chapter, but that part of the chapter. But there must have been other revelations about Lentz, or or wasn't there? I mean, nothing that I think is earth-shattering. I mean, as I said earlier, I just I think that it might be valuable to discuss the what depictions of graphic violence or what depictions of graphic anything. Right. are doing in this novel. Sure. Right. And I would I always like to investigate what it is for me. What is it that makes me So there've been some other graphic sections in this book that I did read even though they were pretty you know, they were pretty horrifying and sickening to read. But what is it about me that makes me draw the line at cruelty to animals? <laughs> I was thinking about that, hmm. too. And I, yeah. Is it because I'm, of their total innocence or? Yeah, I don't know exactly. Yet some of the stuff that we've read before involved children. And That's they're true. also... That's innocent true. and dependent on the adults who are who are hurting them. Yeah, that's very true. But I can read those and talk about the horror I feel. And with the animal piece, I I have I just can't I can't stomach it. I can't read right. it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's I was just going to say maybe it's some kind of personal moral failing on our parts that we like we have I yeah. And I passed it on to my son. I don't, well, I mean, I think the same thing, too, though, about, like, you know, when people have a pet die, it's it's entirely possible to feel that, that loss and that pain more acutely than if a person close to you dies. Um, like, they're, they're not, they're not really, they're not really the same thing at all, but, like, the relationship that people have with animals are different. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that's part of it? I don't know. But I, I don't care about Randy Lentz anymore. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, it is clear that from the, like, two paragraphs that I read that his behaviors escalated, right? 
the yeah, violence so is I, escalating I sort of for him. Skimmed, I, I skimmed really loosely, and I, I did notice there's a there's a moment where he considers murdering a person on the street. Oh, really? Um, and it says to his credit, he feels really troubled by that, and hmm. doesn't do it. But yeah. So I want to hear more of what Brianna's thinking about the whole gratuitous violence yeah. issue with the book. It's not necessarily that I have thoughts. I just feel like it's in the book for a reason. And right. it's... And so... I don't know whether it's a... We're flipping TV channels and, oh, look, gratuitous violence. And this is a comment on gratuitous violence, as we were talking about earlier. But I'm unconvinced that it is a comment because of how closely it aligns with actual violence, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to approach it pretty, I don't want to say evenly, but kind of. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sensing the narrator exercising a judgment over Lens for these things or judgment over the child abusers or judgment... Right. Right. It's like just one more little, little right. mini chapter. Mm -hmm. like, and here's this thing that happened. And here's this thing that this character is doing. I guess where I'm, what I'm thinking about is, what is the effect of this section in context? Because we're hearing about it after this kind of lovely conversation between Gately and Joelle. And... Right. So there's pieces of addiction and there's pieces of personal philosophy in there, which can carry over to the lens section. Um, but I'm going to be interested in seeing what the section after this lens section brings us. Um, because I think that the lens section should probably color our interpretation of things moving forward. Mm -hmm. Is there something about the fact that he wears this, this disguise too? Is there something about his disguise and Joelle's veil? Something about letting you hide some piece of you? And in her case, she's hiding her beauty and the effect it that she sees a negative effect that it has on herself and others. And in Len's case, he's hiding this, this compulsion toward violence. Is there something there? Maybe. And then there's also, at the very, very end, um, the last page and a half is more about Bruce Green choosing to uh, join Lens for his walks home. And so Lens isn't able to, to do the things that he wants. Um, right. So we've got some other people's oh. effects on compulsion, I guess. Uh-huh. Although does that bode, that maybe doesn't bode well for Bruce. If... Well, it does, it does talk some about how like Lenz genuinely likes Bruce and, and doesn't want to want to tell him to just get lost. 
um, which would isn't part of the source to, of the problem. Would it be easier to kill him and bag him up than I don't, to tell I him know, to get I do, lost? I don't, I don't think that's the direction that it's going in. But okay. it does, it's like the, the fact that he can no longer engage in this like coping mechanism is, it's wearing on him. So is it saying though that the that fellowship is the key to surviving all of our our I, I don't I don't know that it has stuff? any I mean, kind like of an answer. AA like the fellowship of the hideously disfigured the AA group that it somehow helps manage the parts of ourselves that we see as well, I don't know though that he sees it as a. Does he see his his obsession with with this this violent obsession? Does he see that as a problem for himself? I don't think so. It just seems like something that he does. He just does it, and it's part of his routine now. And he knows that it's not. He knows that people would be horrified, so he hides he, this. Yeah, he obviously sees a need to hide it. I don't know, but I don't like him. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand in myself why the animal piece is so upsetting and why the violence. Is that just to jerk us awake as we read through this enormous, endless book? Yeah, but is like that doesn't seem like a good enough reason. And I, I, no. wa- I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in, in his choice to include these depictions in the book. Um, him being DFW. Yeah. But also, like, part of me thinks that he's just, like, kind of going down a list and pushing people's buttons about, like, what are things that people might find just incredibly off-putting? Why don't I, why don't I make this chapter about that? And, yeah. And uh, I, I guess maybe there's some point to it. It, it, it maybe goes to showing the dire straits that these recovering addicts find themselves in but i don't know that i'm convinced that it's worth it but then again i didn't write infinite jest and i I never will so so i don't know that it's fair for me to have any criticism of it you know like we're we chose to read this book i think if if i had remembered that this scene was in the book i might not have been quite so gung-ho about getting you two to read it well it's not the only chunk of a book that I've skipped because of, of similar, you know, like this is just too much. Yeah. And I, I do think there's a valuable, it's a valuable reminder for myself that if I'm reading something and I, I really viscerally dislike it and I don't want to have it in my brain, then I can choose to right. just not read it. And it doesn't mean that I necessarily have to give up on the book that it's in no. unless the whole rest of the book is like right. that. Unless but, you can't find a part where it stops being that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in that sense, it's kind of liberating to me that I... Maybe the point is asking the reader, what are your limits? What are your limits? Maybe. I'm I'm skeptical that there is a capital P point to anything in Infinite Jest. Uh, I Hmm. I think that it's it's, uh, an exercise in, like aesthetics and theme there's certainly motif but motif doesn't necessarily carry a moral or meaning and i think i think that this is like this is the same thing like just because there are things in the book that are unpleasant to read doesn't necessarily mean that there's a lesson in their unpleasantness just Mm. that they're in there 
and or and maybe, we can either read them or not read them. Maybe part of the lesson is so we have this this place we have Ennett House and we have these supposedly recovering addicts, and some of them, uh, their responses to being in rehab endear them to us, and for and some of them we're repulsed by and. That they're mm-hmm. that they're very different. They're all very different individuals. The people that are there at Ennett House are there for they're there for their own reasons, and they have their own response to dealing with the addictive urges that they feel. And I mean, part of the recovery from addiction to drugs or alcohol seems to be, in a way, finding a new addiction. Mm. So mm-hmm. like for Don Gately, you've got the car, you've got the the fast car that he's so taken with and that he drives even though it puts him at risk for jail time. And for Randy Lentz, the addiction is violence, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence against someone not himself. And for Joelle... Her addiction is to her veil and her and hiding. And mm. I don't know. Or perhaps there's no point to it. <laughs> or maybe it's mm-hmm. all useless and uh, we should just right. stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. We shouldn't stop reading. We're this far in. No, we in. can't stop now. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> No, we can't stop now. There are too many loose ends and loose threads. And so my, I guess my biggest question at the end of this chapter is, where's this Lentz thing going to go? Maybe because now they've, he's made a big point of introducing him in a bigger way and blam, he's on the scene. He's in our, you know, he's in our heads now. <laughs> I'm unconvinced that it's going to go anywhere, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not too convinced not either. Not necessarily. It's curious, like, what would a Don Gately do if he discovered what Randy Lentz was up to? What would happen to him? What kind of intervention would Ennett House put in place? Or would they just dump yeah, him I, out I don't into know. the world? I don't know. I mean, he's yeah. hiding it for I'm... good reason. Nobody is going to think this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I didn't miss too much by not reading it. No. Okay. Kind of a downer spot to end, but it it's is yeah. really a downer it's a, spot to end. It's a, Sorry, friends. Yeah. Should well, it's we talk okay. About... We only have three people listening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's all us. Does anyone have anything they'd like to announce or plug? Keep in, Vote. Bear in mind, by the way, that we are like numerous weeks behind on getting these published. So if you have oh. something timely... Oh. Uh, it won't be. <laughs> then, I'll say, oh. then I'll say, I sure hope you voted. I hope you voted. Yeah, yeah. I, hope I hope you, you voted, voted too. Yeah, if you want to follow me and my paintings, uh, you can do so on Instagram at CardboardVV. My website is agingrick.com, and I'm on Instagram at Coffee Stop Fix, where I just posted a photograph of a downed road sign and a funny-shaped tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you don't have a cat or don't have enough cats, I encourage you to check out your local 
uh, Humane Society. And yeah. there are lots of kitty cats out there that would love to be pampered by you. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, so, everyone gets some cats. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Even if you're allergic, get some cats. Yeah, get get some many cats. of them. If you, you know, if you immerse yourself in them long enough, it's like learning a foreign language. Eventually you won't be allergic to them anymore. I'm not mm -hmm. a doctor, but I'm positive that that's how that works. Hmm. Yep. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that would be a good antidote to this particular reading section that we just finished. So yeah. uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, find a way to send us pictures of your new cat family. Yeah, send oh, us yeah. pictures of your cats that you adopted because we told you to adopt them. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I imagine that all three of our listeners are sitting and listening to this, and, and they don't, they've never thought about cats. They barely even know that cats existed. But right. we just said, we just told them directly to adopt some cats, and so they're going to go out and do exactly right as they're now. told. Yeah, right they now. They should hurry, because the Humane Society might be closing soon. Yeah. Depending on yeah. time zone Depending on time in. of day. Yeah. Uh -huh. You mm -hmm. might even, I, we don't advocate this behavior, but it might be necessary to break into the Humane Society <laughs> and rescue some cats <laughs> from it before they few. open for the morning. Because it's an emergency. Yeah, just make sure that you leave the um, adoption right, on the right, counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave, leave the money on the counter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Out, find the form that you're supposed to fill out. It's probably available online. Mm -hmm. Fill it out. Uh, yeah. Scoop up the cats, leave the fee. Gives a whole new meaning to cat burglar. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about pages 548 to 565. Our music is by Jonathan Rigby. You can listen to his podcast, The Land of Random, on Spotify. Thanks for listening. And as for you, you followed very well. You didn't need fewer words at all. If you don't mind my saying so, my sense is that you think you're not bright, but you're not. I put that poorly. You're not not bright. As in, you're incorrect in thinking you have nothing upstairs. Yeah. Yep. Keep your head up and your face covered. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk All to right. you later. All, All right. right. Bye. All of you. Bye.